He's got a story to tell. And in John chapter 20 of John's, uh, uh, the gospel, his gospel account, we, we see the resurrection story play out. Um, people are running back and forth between the tomb and where they're staying. There's all this confusion. Everybody's trying to figure out what's going on. And at first they think someone stole the body, right? Like when, what would you think if you're in this situation? You think somebody's kind of playing a nasty trick on you or something. But then angels start showing up. And they're telling people that Jesus is alive again. So who are you going to believe? And then Jesus himself starts appearing to people. Saying, I'm back. <laughs> Jesus is standing there. And there's all this stuff going on during this resurrection Sunday. But then finally, about halfway through John chapter 20, most of the disciples are gathered together in a room. And it's been a really, really long day. The road to a maze account has already occurred. And then they're just kind of gathering in the evening. There's a bunch of disciples, or at least most of the disciples, are in this room trying to make sense of what's been going on all day. And then Jesus just shows up. He just starts standing. Hey guys, what you talking about? He shows them the scars in his hands and the wound in his side and everybody, man, is ecstatic that he's standing there, right? Like, wouldn't you be? How do you process that? But not everybody is in that room. There's a disciple missing. Those of you who know the story, who is it? Thomas, the doubter. We don't know why he's not there. He's just not there. And he gets all this bad rap for being a doubter. But when he finally makes it into the room, Jesus isn't there anymore. Jesus is gone now. And what happens? Everybody explodes, just launches in to tell him, Thomas, you missed this. Thomas, you missed that. Right? Like if you're Thomas, how do you process that situation? Well, for Thomas, he says, I'll believe it when I see it. Literally, he says, unless I put my fingers in the wounds on his hands and touch the wound in his side, I will never believe. That's what Thomas says. And that's probably something, I don't know, I may be wrong, but that's probably something that, that a lot of people in our world have either said out loud or at least thought to themselves before, right? Unless I see it for myself, unless I see it with my own eyes, I will never believe. You want me to just buy what you say? No, thank you. I'm out. That's Thomas's, that's Thomas's reaction. So no, no, no. You, you prove it. Then I'll buy in. And it's in that tension that our story for the morning picks up. Look at verse 26 with me. Eight days later. How long do you think a week fills during this time period? Eight days later. It's been more than a week since Jesus has appeared to this whole group of people as a group of people. There are some other things in the gospel accounts that hint that maybe Jesus showed up to individuals or small groups of people here and there around town uh, over the course of uh, between point A and point B. But for whatever reason, it's been a week since these two encounters. Eight days. It says eight days later, verse 26, his disciples were inside again. And Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, 
Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Okay, so if you are in these circumstances, if you are trying to, to make sense of everything that's been going on this week, if, if you watch Jesus be crucified and then all of a sudden he's standing in front of you a couple of days later and he's here and then he's not here and then he's here again and you heard somebody else across town saw him too, right? what are you trying to figure out right now? As word is beginning to spread across town that this Jesus guy that was publicly executed by people who know what they're doing as word is starting to spread around town that this executed man is now just hanging out here and then hanging out there, like, like how are you thinking through things? If you've got reason to believe that the same people who put him to death are now probably looking for you, would it not cause you to do things like, you know, maybe locking the door behind you and hoping no one knows that your group is meeting in secret? As you try to talk amongst yourselves. And that's exactly what we see here, right? Disciples, they're, they're, even though they've, they've gotten these glimpses of a resurrected Jesus in the flesh, Jesus has, has, has said over and over again, peace be with you, and I, I've done this and I've done that. Uh, we've already seen him explain to them that it had to be done this way, that the resurrection was a necessity they're still scared of everything. They don't know what to do. They're behind locked doors and Jesus just pops in. I don't know what that looks like. I'm sure it's probably awesome. But for whatever reason, they're hunkered around a table going, okay, like, like what do we do now? And Jesus goes, hi guys. <laughs> what are we talking about? Literally, he says, peace be with you. He tries to calm their fears, right? And then in verse 27, Jesus calls Thomas over. Look at verse 27. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but what? Believe. Hey, Thomas, I, I seem to remember that you had some things that you needed proof of. I, I, I seem to, re to remember you saying that, that you wanted to see some things or else you would never believe. So why don't you come over here real quick? I got some proof for you. Go ahead. Put your finger here. Place your hand here. Don't disbelieve, but believe. I, I, I seem to remember you saying that you needed some things. So, so go ahead. Check it out. That's what Jesus says. Jesus gives Thomas exactly what he needs in order to believe here. Exactly what he needs. Jesus isn't scared of that. <laughs> He's not trying to hide anything or manipulate the story in any way. He doesn't turn around and say, how dare you not have enough faith? You should just take what I say. And he says, no, no, no touch, touch my side. You want, you want to see the wound? It's still here. Go ahead. Go ahead. Jesus doesn't say, don't you understand how the system works? No, he says, here's your proof. Here's your proof. You want a proof? Here's your proof. And look at how Thomas responds in verse 28. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. 
There's an exclamation point there for a reason. See, upon being presented with the evidence that Jesus is who he says he is and that he did exactly what he said he would do, Thomas turns on a dime and immediately recognizes Jesus as Lord. Immediately. And whether you realize this or not, this is actually the linchpin for everybody on the planet. It is. Either Jesus is who he says he is, God in the flesh, or he's not. And either Jesus has done exactly what he claims to have done, paid the debt for our sins on the cross, and beaten, defeated death with his resurrection. Either he's done those things or he hasn't. And if those two things are true, then, well, everything else just kind of falls into place, right? If, if Jesus really is God in the flesh and has defeated sin and death, then what else really matters? Everything else, we'll just, we'll just figure it out along the way. But if either of those two things aren't true, we have a big old problem on our hands. In fact, we're all just wasting our time here. The reality that a crucified and executed Jesus was now physically standing in front of Thomas, offering him the proof that he needed, stops Thomas dead in his tracks and leaves him undone. In an instant, it made sense. Okay, let's go. And the only appropriate thing to come out of his mouth in that moment is exactly what we hear him say. My Lord and my God. Thomas was confronted with the truth and well, truth changed him, didn't it? It's what truth does. At a, at a core level, it changed Thomas from the inside out. And the, the exclamation, my Lord and my God, couldn't help but come out of him. And I think the next natural question would, would honestly be, like, well, why, why doesn't Jesus give that to everybody? I mean, right? If the in-the-flesh revelation of the resurrected Jesus is such a game-changer, right? If, if Jesus is standing in front of us in the flesh, inviting us to touch His hands and His side, brings such immediate results, then, well, then why doesn't He do that for everybody? Sign me up. Well, look what Jesus says next in verse 29. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Okay, so Jesus, at least, thinks that there's a blessedness, a gifted reality for those who come to him in faith without needing the kind of proof that Thomas needed. That there is a, a gift a good thing for those who get there earlier than Thomas did. And I think Jesus wants that for us too. He wants you to have more than what Thomas had. But, but how though, right? Like what do we get to lean on? Surely there's nothing better than seeing Jesus standing in front of us, right? Right? Well, what if there is? What if there actually is something better 
than a resurrected Jesus standing in front of us, inviting us to touch his hands and his side? And what if Jesus has already given us that something better? It's it's here that we can finally look at our VBS theme verse for the week. Look at verse 30. Right on the heels of this, John includes this little parenthetical statement that doesn't fit within the narrative. He stops with his story for a second to explain something. And in verse 30, he says this, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. Verse 31. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The the Apostle John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, tells us explicitly why he wrote his gospel account. It's not for the book deal. He tells us why he wrote his gospel account. It's as clear as day. There are all kinds of things that he watched Jesus do. He traveled around him with him for three years, and he watched the miracles, and he watched the teaching, and he watched him speak with authority. He watched him do this, and he watched him do that. He's the, the disciple who seemed to have the closest intimate relationship with Jesus as he walked around on this earth for three years. John saw all kinds of stuff that Jesus said and did. All kinds of stuff. But he tells us here in verse 31 that he wrote down these things. The things that he chose to write down were done so on purpose. And it's so that we would believe that Jesus is who he says he is and that he did what he said he would do. See, John wrote his gospel account as a hold it in our hands proof that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah. That through the Bible, that through the Bible we would find Jesus. And by finding Jesus, find life in His name. See, Jesus wants more for you than just mere assent that He's who He says He is. He wants wants your life to be full of chasing after Him through the Scriptures and actually finding Him there. That's what He wants for you. He wants your life to be full of pursuing Him here and pursuing Him there and finally finding Him in each of these places in fullness. There's life in God's Word. God's Word is good. It's active and it's powerful. He uses it for His effectual purposes no matter how old you are, whether old or middle-aged or kind of young or definitely young. No matter how old you are, God's Word is the primary tool that He uses to give you Himself. To mature you and to grow you into who He wants you to be. And so... (laughs) If you don't have a Bible of your own, take one of the paperback ones, right? We really mean that. And when VBS is done well, there's all kinds of ways that VBS can be done not well. But when VBS is done well, guess what we spend a lot of time doing? Opening up His Word. So this week, we're going to sing some silly songs, and we're going to have some snacks, and we're going to have some games, and we're going to have some fun, but 
we're also going to open up God's word. A word that's capable of changing little hearts and minds. Of calling little hearts and minds to himself and says, come follow me, here's the proof you need. So let me run down real quick for you what our kids will be learning about Jesus in the Bible this week. Day one, Monday, they're going to look at Luke chapter 2 where Jesus is a 12-year-old boy in the temple. He sits down with the elders of the temple and they start talking about the Messiah. Jesus knows exactly why he came. There is a purpose to his sitting there. On Tuesday, our kids are going to open up their Bibles to Matthew chapter 13 and learn about Jesus' baptism. One of the clearest pictures in the Bible of a Trinitarian God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. All in that one story. And you hear the clear pronouncement from heaven. This is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. Jesus is the Son of God. On Wednesday, you can pray for our kids on Wednesday. They're they're going to look at Matthew chapter 14 where Jesus walks on water. Can you walk on water? I can't walk on water. It'd be nice to swim in some water right now, but I can't do either at the moment I'm up here. All right, so Jesus walks on water. Why? Because he's a lot more powerful than you and I are, right? The Son of God carries power. On Thursday, on Thursday, our kids are going to read about the empty tomb in John chapter 20. Jesus rose from the dead. And that reality changes some things, doesn't it? And then finally on Friday, our kids will look at Luke chapter 23 and learn about the road to Emmaus, where Jesus tells us with his own lips, this Bible is about me. And if you read it correctly, you'll find me there. I can assure you this week, absolutely certain that we will make the most of our opportunity to open up God's word with a bunch of kids that show up. You have that promise from me. But here's the deal. Regardless of our effort, God is the one who brings fruit. God is the one who brings the increase. We, we can and we should and we will work our tails off this week, but God is the one who blesses our efforts, not us. And so earlier I told you that we're going to do two special things this morning. The first was to look at our theme verse. The second is something that we started doing every year before VBS, and we're going to do it again this year. We're going to spend some time praying. In a second, when uh, we release from here, we want people to prayer walk our campus. And prayer walk is just a word that means walk around and pray. Remember the naming thing I always bring up? Prayer, walk, walk, prayer. Yeah. All right. So it means walk around and pray to all the places that we've got filled up this this uh, in this building this year. Like we got rooms that are already decorated and and all those kinds of things. We want you to walk around to the different spaces where kids are going to be this week and ask God to do big things. Like that's what we want you to do. And some of you I know are like like getting a little nervous because you don't like praying in front of people. Quit overthinking it. You're your own biggest critic. God doesn't care about your form. He cares about the heart behind your form, right? So, join a group. Uh, in a second, I'm going to identify some, some leaders of groups. Uh, we'll have one group that kind of stays up here on top because of mobility issues. We'll have some other groups uh, that kind of uh, spread out among the building. Um, join one of those groups. Walk around pray with them. There's signs on the doors that tell you uh, what class is in there, and I think we have some temporary signs on the door that tell you what teachers are in there. Pray for the groups, pray for the teachers, pray for their efforts. 
Those, though, are the instructions for those of us who are part of our church family. Definitely instructions for our church family. There's probably two groups of people here, maybe two groups of people here that we could give some further advice to. So group one, number one, if you're here and you're not a part of our church family, you're a Christian, but you're just a visitor today. I know that this can feel a little bit awkward, like like we're going to shut down our service a little early and like walk around the building and pray. Like who does that? Well, we're going to do that this week and it's a great week for you to hang out with us and find about find out about what's important to us, right? So we're going to do that. But there's a third group. Third group, though, are those of you who don't know Jesus yet. It's probably going to feel more awkward for you. Just throwing it out there. So what should you do? I really want you to hang out with us as well. I want you to watch us put our trust and our hope in a God who does big things. I want you to kind of test us on this one and then come back next week and watch us celebrate what he did. Might just change the way you see some things. We'll give some further instructions in a second, but before we do that, there's another way that those of us who don't know Jesus can also respond this morning. It's by meeting Jesus. Either Jesus is exactly who he says he is, and Jesus has done exactly what he says he has done, or he's not, right? And if he has, if the true false question is true, that demands a response, doesn't it? Our life ought to be oriented around that. So, so what did Jesus do? He, he came and he lived a sinless life that neither you nor I are capable of living. Perfectly obedient to the Father. Perfectly obedient to God in his commands and through his life. And, and so because we are incapable of living without sin, the Bible teaches that all of us are separated from the goodness of God by default. The Bible also teaches that that sin deserves to be punished. That That separation deserves to be permanent. But Jesus, even though he was innocent himself, put on flesh and dwelt among us, died a physical death on a cross as a substitute to pay the debt for our sin, and he rose from the dead as a vindication of his righteousness. And so now all who call upon him as Lord in repentance and faith are reconciled back to God forever. Instead of God's wrath, we receive God's grace. And we want to give you an opportunity to respond to Him this morning. And so I'm going to pray. We're going to sing. You come see me if you want somebody to help you walk through that that massive change. Let's all respond to God's Word this morning. Father, thank You for the Scriptures. Thank You for John 20. Thank you, Jesus, that you are a God who is not content to sit on a faraway throne, but you came near to save, to redeem, and to reconcile. You did what was necessary to pay the debt of our sin, but death could not hold you because you are infinitely good. And in your great love for us and your grace towards us and the mercy that that is just naturally in you, you defeated our greatest enemy, sin and death. So now you call us to yourself. You give us the proof we need, but more so than what we normally hope for. 
feel like it, at times it would be easier to just see you standing here. But you want more for me than that. You want me to pursue you and find you in your word. And so God, as we continue to put forward all of our plans and all of our efforts to put on a vacation Bible school that is a good program, God, would you, would you take our, our Bible study for the week and do much bigger things with it than games and snacks and music ever could? Would you help our teachers speak the gospel into little hearts and minds? We will be faithful in the effort, but you're the one who brings the fruit, and so you're the one who saves. Would you take our efforts this week and use them for your glory? Would you bring fruit out of our obedience? God, would you help us respond to your word today? In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.